This episode is proudly sponsored by The Helix, a new innovation district located in New Brunswick, New Jersey, the heart of the Northeast Corridor. The Helix provides a critical ecosystem for innovation by offering a range of physical environments, a vibrant community of leading innovators, and a strategic central location on the Northeast Corridor. The Helix will uniquely mix workspaces, classrooms, laboratories, venues, and collaborative environments creating a dynamic community and setting for innovative minds. Universities, startups, Fortune 500 companies, entrepreneurs, researchers, and many others will all call the Helix home. Thus far, the Helix has assembled a community of innovative private and public organizations, such as Rutgers Health, the New Jersey Innovation Hub, RWJ Barnabas Health, Hackensack Meridian Health, universities from Ireland and Israel, and others. The Helix is where ideas will come to life. To learn more, visit helixnj.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. From NJ.com and the Star Ledger, welcome to the Rutgers Rant, your one-stop podcast for the Scarlet Knights, with your hosts, Steve Politi and Rutgers insiders, Brian Fonseca and Pat Lenny. Let's start shopping. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Rutgers Rant. Politi here, Fonseca Lenny, all together, 31-7 loss to Michigan Fellas, I feel like this is one of those step back and look at the big picture kind of losses, if you can do it. I understand that you know, fans, you, you get into a game like this, you're playing the number two team in the country, you're 3-0, and you're feeling pretty good about yourselves, you're thinking, all right, we'll go in there and we'll get an upset, and then it's not close. And I, I guess I'm not surprised by the outcome. I think we all thought it would be about this kind of game. But overall, I don't know. I mean... I thought Rutgers looked okay. Like I've I've seen a lot of the I guess what I'm saying, I've seen a lot of these games when the Scarlet Knights go and they face off against one of the big powers in the Big Ten, and they do not look like they belong, they belonged on the field. That to me was not the case in this game. That it was okay until late in the game. I thought they held their own on both lines of scrimmage. I thought they did some things in the passing game, which they hadn't done in games like this. I don't know. Will you guys tell me, what, did you agree with this statement overall? I think Pat could speak to this, but I think when Christian Dremel scores that 69-yard touchdown, that, that pregame feeling of we might win this game got a lot higher. But then Michigan is the much better team. That was obvious uh, throughout the game. And I think that kind of really pulled through in the fourth quarter when Rutgers really kind of ran out of gas. But I agree with you. I think the big thing is that while they didn't convert on them, Rutgers did have opportunities. They did create opportunities to score. They moved the ball decently well. I thought Gavin looked great outside of the interception, which really wasn't his fault. That was more of the play call and Michigan making a great play. Yeah, I, I think that it was about as good as a performance as people could realistically hope for. And I think some of the postgame comments show some of the respect that Rutgers is getting because I don't know if you saw Blake Corum, their running back, uh, said that Rutgers came in here as a bully because of the way they won their first three games. Hmm. And Michigan said they bully bullies. So while Michigan, if Michigan is comparing themselves to you, I think that's a bit of a compliment. And I think another Michigan player said they wanted to show Rutgers who was boss. Again, maybe not the greatest place to be coming from, but I think the fact that Michigan is talking about Rutgers that way, that wasn't happening two, three, four years ago. So it's- Of course not, yeah. In the, in the big picture, step in the right direction. Rutgers is not quite good enough to pull off an upset in the big house against a top five team or really come close to it. But the fact that the game was kind of a game well into the second half, I think that that's a pretty good sign for Rutgers. Pat, you agree? Completely agree with the big picture take 100%. Rutgers took incremental steps. You mentioned the passing game, which was a huge positive. Gavin made some terrific throws that we haven't seen through the first three weeks. I thought that not that Shiano opened up the playbook like he said he was going to do. But the way that Gavin was able to extend plays, hit on those intermediate routes, I thought he moved the ball really well and played a pretty solid game overall. The one takeaway that I will say with I look at negatively, what happened to the running game? Of course, mm. 
of course, Michigan is a great defense and you weren't going to bully Michigan, like Brian said, but the way they came in, we talked about all week. Rutgers has an identity. They're going to be able to, to run the ball and keep these drives going and sustain long drives, take time off the clock. That did not happen at all. So I think that was a little bit of a setback in the big picture. They're not going to be a team that bullies Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan. It's just not going to happen. Right. You you mentioned Gavin Williamson. We've we've talked and we've talked about this ad nauseum about the fact that this was the one of the worst passing offenses in the country last season. And you have to look at what it accomplishes this year with that in mind. And I again I agree with you totally. I thought he again he was he wasn't sacked. He handled the pressure well. He had that I mean the throw to Christian Dremel was just a great throw. Uh, had a great, great throw, better catch, but a great throw later in the game uh, to Jaquay Jackson. Uh, another one to Isaiah Washington. He had not enough of them, certainly, but, you know, you're seeing some things in this passing game. You're seeing more than one receiver who can get open and it might not matter against against Michigan, but I, I, can, I mean, other than Penn State and Ohio State, I think you've got six games in the schedule that it's going to matter in, and that that's that to me is a huge that to me was a huge thing. Like I knew Rutgers would be okay defensively; they don't give up twenty four points. It's seven seven on the offense. I knew they'd be they're going to be okay running the ball against regular defenses. I didn't know this, if they would be able to pass the ball against a good defense, and they did. Yeah, and they did without to Pat's point much of help in the run game. I did want to touch on that. Um, so. The, the bounce of the play calls was a bit weird in that they put three straight passes on Gavin Wimpsett's shoulders to start the game. Then they run the ball 16 times out of the last 19 plays in the first half. Uh, and aside from Manungai's big first run that was killed by a penalty, uh, which yeah. we'll talk about later, and his next two runs from there and a couple runs from Wimpsett, they really couldn't get anything going. One, because of, like Pat said, Michigan's defensive front is huge. Two, because Rutgers' offensive line just cannot get a push against guys that big. Uh, and when you can't establish the run game, it makes it harder to pass. Given that context, Gavin did pretty well. Uh, he wasn't pressured much or as much as you would think when he was. He avoided the, 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 the rush. And he connected with his wide receivers. I'd like to see – I think the wide receivers are better. Again, to compare to last year, the worst passing offense – in power five football, maybe of course you're going to be a little bit better. I'd like to see a little bit more from Jaquay Jackson and Isaiah Washington and Christian Dremel still, because I don't think while they took a step forward, I still think there's something there to be, to, to, to be had. And I think that tight ends, I think we can kind of give up on that theory that they will ever help in the past game because <laughs> Johnny Lang had a couple of catches. Sean Bowman dropped the only target he got. I mean, the fact they've only thrown the ball to him one time in four games really says a lot about what they feel about his impact in the passing game. So to, put all that together and the fact that Gavin still threw for 180 yards, a touchdown, only one interception. I think, yeah, you got to feel good about where he's at for sure. And what, and what Kirk Schrocker does for him doesn't really seem to complicate things much for him. We can bicker about the play calls, the erraticness of, you know, you pass a lot, you run a lot, you pass a lot, but the one thing he has done has not put Gavin Wimsett in tough situations. And that's been pretty fruitful. All right. Let's talk about the play call. Cause I think that's the one thing that was, uh, a little on the controversial side, and I I, I had a, a seventeen when it's seventeen seven, it's fourth and two, uh, in field goal range. I had a lot of a surprising number of of readers who were kicked the field goal, kicked the field goal. I from the I mean this is not a second guess. I thought right away this is a situation where you got to go for it. If you kick the field goal, in my opinion. Sure, maybe you make it and it's 17-10. Well, you're going to lose the game 24-10, right? I mean, it's just the difference between you, you trying to win the game. You're in a position, you're down at that side of the field. You're not going to have many opportunities down there. If you get a touchdown, if you move the ball, I think to me, that's just, it's just a completely different game. Did you, did you guys feel the same way in the moment? Did you agree with that decision or were you sort of of the mind like, all right, maybe taking the points isn't the worst idea? No, you got to absolutely go for it in that situation. No question. Uh, you're not going to get many opportunities at, at that point in the game on the road at the big house to to hang in there. And and really at that point, which would have been a, a decisive blow to Michigan to really hang in there even more. You can't you can't can't kick the field goal. You're just delaying the inevitable at that point, like you said. I hated the play, though. 
<laughs> I, really, I just but, I can't be the guy that screams for screen passes. For no, you can't be. and come right. on this podcast and be like it was a horrible play call. But now they throw the screen. My reaction was now you throw the screen. We've been screaming for a screen pass. Now this is the moment you break that out. I, I, I loved just, it. Seemed... I loved it. You love the call, Listen, or you just big? You just love the screen. Tremendous play by the Michigan oh, defender. Come on, tremendous. He busted, busted through that yeah, window. Yeah, but if he didn't, off. there were like eight Michigan defenders standing there. Someone was going to bust through. I mean, it's just one of those plays. It's a short yardage situation. Got eight guys around a line of scrimmage. I don't here's know. What, here's why I didn't hate it because Rutgers was becoming predictable on short yard situations. Right, they were running the RPO every single time, and it was either going to be Wimson on a keeper or a handoff to Manungai. I thought it was a good switch up and I'm so contrarian on this topic, but I actually thought it was a good play call. <laughs> My part of me was like, bring in Johnny Langan. Let's get that off it. Let's get that short yardage unit back out there. But that, that popped in my head. It, it is a second guess. I get it, Brian. You be the tiebreaker here. Did you, did you hate the play as much as I did? Or are you like with me? You got to try something. So just to, for the context, Rutgers was not running the ball. Well, as we said, uh, one thing I hadn't mentioned is that for some reason, Manungai took all the carries in the first half and they didn't go to Sam Brown or Aaron Young when they couldn't establish a run with him. I guess they could have gone th- with them there in that play. Um, but, and they also had thrown the ball eight straight times before that. So I got to think Michigan is thinking you're, you're going to run there. So maybe the pass is a bit of a, you know, a kind of mind trick. That being said, I agree with you, Politi. I think it's a terrible play call, and I think you got to throw ahead of the sticks if you're going to go yes. for it on fourth down. A fourth and two. Yes. That was that was an issue with a couple of plays. They, there was a couple of third, fourth downs where they threw short of the sticks by a yard or two, and I just don't I, – I, I never understood the logic there. I don't know if that's the wide receivers not running deep enough. I don't know what the issue is, but I just think you got to give yourself a chance. Um, I'm not sure the play was executed well, but – I just think, you know, I, I almost agree with you. Giant Langan would be a great idea. Just try to, I, I know Michigan, <laughs> I was ki- mostly kidding there, but yes, something. <laughs> Obviously, let's, let's be clear. <laughs> Michigan's front seven is elite. Like maybe, if not the best in the country, definitely top three. So I can understand him being hesitant to give the ball to Sam Brown and saying, here, gain us two yards. But I think you got to go with something, something else. But Going for on fourth and two, I think is non-negotiable. You're not being Michigan in the big house with field goals, especially not with the fact that your defense was giving up a score. Every I thought the defense played fine, but I looked at it. Michigan had seven drives. They scored on four of the of, of five in the middle, and the only one they didn't score on is because a kid missed the field goal. Like I, the defense wasn't playing lights out. I think you got to kind of have to go for the touchdown. It didn't work out, but. We're not results oriented here. We're process oriented, and I think it was the right call. Right, and I just, I do, I just want to say the worst play call of the weekend, and they would be screaming about this in Big Ten circles on Monday was fourth and one in Ohio State and Notre Dame, and they run a jet sweep. No, oh, yes, infinitely it worse. It was like, totally ridiculous yes. play call. I uh, absolutely, thought, and that was one of those in the moment where you're like, "Are you kidding me?" Yes, don't. that was like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Ten yeah. times worse than what Sharaka called it. Yes, indeed, they were lucky to win that game. Uh, all right, and I don't. So, because of the call and the situation, like I, I give Gavin Wimsett no responsibility for that turnover because he couldn't. And that's you can't throw the ball away there. You can't look at oh the place busted. Let me just throw. Let me just throw it in the ground because then you give the ball back to them. So you have to try to force it in there. So, in my opinion, he still has no turnovers. I mean, I get it. They scored, made a great play, but I, I you know, I just don't fault them for that. I mean, he still still threw an interception. It's going to go down as she just an interception. It fully changed the game. But it wasn't was it was his fault. He had to he had to throw in the tag coverage. I mean, I don't know. If we're, if we're doing if we're doing could be would be interceptions, he's probably throwing a couple passes this season that should have been intercepted. Yes. So I, for all intents and purposes, okay. I, I hear your point. Uh, but yes, in the grand scheme, it was a great play by Michigan. I thought it was, it was. tremendous. I'm with you. I'm with you, Pat. I, th- I think it's. I agree with you guys. I think we all agree here. That's of all the people responsible for that interception, Gavin is probably the least or the second least responsible for it. Right. You mentioned the defense. Let's touch on that briefly. Um, yeah, I mean, a little, I just, when they came out, it forced the three and out right away. I just thought early on, Michigan was like, all right, we're just going to run the ball up, the, up your throat like we've done every game since Jim Harbaugh's become coach here. And I just like the fact that the defensive line held tough. Now you saw later in the game, they started running to the outside. They couldn't get the contain. I get it. Like Michigan, Michigan's got good coaches. They're like, okay, well, we'll, we'll do this instead. And it worked. And Michigan was relentless. Uh, and they looked like they wore down a little bit at the end. Is that your sense that maybe, you know, toward the end of that game, this is the first time we've seen this defense get gassed. 
Yeah, absolutely. The defense got gashed at the end. They were worn down. This is what Michigan does every single game. Absolutely. No question. But the one flaw of the Rutgers defense, they couldn't contain the edge. McCarthy was absolutely killing them on, on those play fakes and read options where Rutgers was just getting sucked in and he was sneaking around the corner. And that just seemed like they had no response for that. Uh, linebackers, I thought, played really well for Rutgers. Serene Powell was great. Deion Jennings was great. Ture was great. I just thought they they failed in setting the edge. And a lot of times that's just it's it's a tough play to defend. And I give I give the defense like a pretty solid grade in that game overall. I thought I thought they were solid. Brian, have we overhyped the corners? There wasn't a great it didn't seem like it was a great game for, for that unit. Um, or or is it just is it just one of those uh, tough situations when you're putting that many men in the box to stop the run? Yeah, I thought Max Melton had a tough game against Virginia Tech, and he had a tough stretch against Michigan. Uh, he gave up a first down on a crossing route, and then he got uh, scored on uh, for that touchdown. Even despite a pass interference from Max, he still scored the touchdown. I think if you're going to commit PI, you got to break up the pass. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I also think that Rutgers did not get that much pressure on McCarthy. And when you're playing against one of, if not the most accurate quarterbacks in the country, if you give him time and space, he's going to find open receivers and make the tough throws. Right. Um, to Pat's point on he's struggling to contain the edge when he held onto the ball, Shaquan Loyal had a, t- a tough go of that. I, I'm not sure if he was assigned to guard that or I'm, I don't know what the assignments were, but it looked like he was the guy there. And you're in a tough spot because if JJ lets the ball go to Corum, you got to have as many bodies as you can to knock down the guy who's maybe the best running back in the country. And if he holds it, then you know you 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 you're, you're stuck. You're it's pick your poison essentially. Shaquan went wrong a couple ways. There was one where it seemed like he followed Donovan Edwards with Tyreen Powell, and that left the entire right side of the field open. That JJ gained something like twenty yards on. Um, but it's hard when you're playing a defense like Michigan that has great receivers, a great tight end who had an awesome play, great running backs, a very smart, sharp offensive coordinator who's throwing out trick plays in the second drive of the game which I saw some Rutgers fans kind of seeing that with glee that Michigan has to pull out the playbook, open sure. up the playbook to beat Michigan, uh, to beat Rutgers. Yeah. I, I just think it's, it's a, it's a tough assignment. I thought the defense could have played a little bit better, but again, you know, when you're playing the number two team in the country, sometimes they're just better than you, you know, just by, by the, by the fourth quarter, the offensive line is leaning on you and you know, it's just, there's nothing you could really do there. The helix is coming. That's right. Ground is broken. Foundations are being laid and the plans are being realized. For those that have not yet heard, the Helix is a new innovation district in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Smack dab in the middle of the Northeast Corridor, the Helix is a place for innovators to gather and innovation to take action. It offers a range of physical environments, a vibrant innovation community, and a strategic central location in close proximity to New York, Philly, Boston, and D.C. The Helix will uniquely mix workspaces, classrooms, laboratories, venues, and collaborative environments creating a dynamic community and setting for innovative minds. Universities, startups, Fortune 500 companies, entrepreneurs, researchers, and many others are already signing up to call the Helix home. Thus far, the Helix has assembled a community of innovative private and public organizations such as Rutgers Health, the New Jersey Innovation Hub, RWJ Barnabas Health, Hackensack Meridian Health, universities from Ireland and Israel, and others. The Helix is coming. Visit helixnj.com to learn more. All right, let's dive into true or false, fellas. I only got a few topics, but I think they're good ones, so let's do it. True or false. Greg Shiano has a right to be mad. The refereeing was way too lopsided in Ann Arbor. Pat, what do you think? False. I hate that. (laughs) Brian? False. Uh, it can be false and there can also be bad calls, but yeah, I, I mean, you, they, some of them were false starts and the, and the holding was a bad, it was just a bad call. I saw the replay. All right. Didn't really hold them. And that was a huge, it turned out to be a huge penalty, uh, for, for, for the Scarlet Knights, certainly. So, um, we'll talk about that in a minute. All right. True or false. The assistant coach earning his keep the most is Dave Brock. Man, I wouldn't have thought I would, would even have this on a list early on when that hire was made of all the assistants that came in. What do you think? True or false? Why receivers? Why receivers coach? Earning his keep. Pat. False. Okay. Because it's got to be Kirk Sharaka. Hello? Right. Yeah, that's probably right. Um, Brian? Are we talking about assistant cor- assistant coaches that were hired this offseason or just in the staff? It's, I don't know. Whatever you want to make it. I'll say 
I guess I'll say true because I can't think of anybody else. Shrock is a great call from Pat, but mm-hmm. just for the sake of devil's advocate, I will say true. Yeah, I'm gonna just for the for this week's really I'll say true. I've just I've I had such low ex- expectations for the receivers and they've exceeded them. So that's the best thing I can say about it. And that's they're running better routes. It's gotta be, it's gotta be some coaching involved. Totally. So I'll say true. Um, true or false. The best team in the big 10 is dot, dot, dot Penn state. Pat, are the Nittany Lions really the best team in the big 10? I'm really impressed with Michigan. I, I, I'm going to say false. Cause I, I think Michigan is still the team to beat. But, it, but Penn State, very, very impressive. And I think their quarterback is right there with McCarthy. Really make really strong arm. Really impressed with what they did against Iowa. That was tremendous. Brian? I think Penn State might have the best defense in the Big Ten, which is saying a lot, given mm-hmm. how Ohio State played against Notre Dame and how Michigan has been playing. I think the top three are very close and heads and shoulders above the rest of the league. I'll say false. I think Michigan's still the best team, but I think Penn State is the best it's been in a decade, and they could definitely beat Michigan when they play each other. Yeah, I'm going to say true. I think Penn State's better, and that I think it's it's them in Michigan, and I, I watched that entire Notre, Notre Dame game. I do not think Ohio State's – I agree with Lou Holtz here. Wow. Got to get – I mean, Ryan Day's going to call me up and yell at me. But, yeah, no, I, I think it's Penn State. All right, true or false, the offensive line shuffling is a bad idea. Time for Rutgers to pick a starting five. Pat, I know you. I know what you're going to say here. True or false? false. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, it's pretty amazing right? that they, they keep on they keep on doing it. Even 46 plays, right? True, but I don't think that's really an option. I mean, when you're switching out your center in the middle of the game and you're switching out literally every position other than left tackle, I think you're not doing that because you want to. I think you're doing it out of necessity. It's fascinating. I you very rarely see this, and I'd love to. I would love to talk to Pat Flaherty in some time in like mid March. I'm sure we'll get the chance. All right, uh, true or false? Rutgers has six winnable games left on this schedule. Pat, true hang or on. false? Hang on, I'm counting. <laughs> count them. Count them up. Let's see. Uh, Wagner. One. Let me pull the princess. Okay. Okay. Uh, six is six is a little excessive, so I'm going to say false. Okay. Brian, true or false? So that would mean every team, not Penn State and Ohio State, winnable. I'm not saying they're going to win all six. I'm just saying they have six winnable games left. That's good. I think I was the only one. I'm kind of iffy about. So I'll you know I'll, I'll say true. I'm definitely going to say true. And if I, I mean, Iowa that game that game could be. Six three in the fourth quarter. I mean, that's all I'm talking about here. Absolutely, they've got six winnable games left. True. All right, uh, two more. True or false? If the Dolphins could put seventy points on the Broncos, then Rutgers should put seventy on Wagner. I don't know where I came up with this one, but hey, true or false, Pat? Let's drop. Let's drop a. Let's drop a seventy on Wagner. They almost did it last year, so I mean, that's <laughs> right, right in the ballpark. True. All right, Brian. Uh, they don't have a quarterback competition this year, so there's no incentive for two guys to go buck wild the whole game. I'll say false. I think the most important thing is not getting injured and it's, treating this as a pseudo bye week because your next two opponents are coming off bye weeks and you just got your body absolutely destroyed playing Michigan and three must-win home games. So I will say false. Uh, the points are not as important as getting back to health against Wisconsin. Yeah, I agree. False. You don't want to be, you don't want to be thrown to the rat against an inferior opponent if you don't have to. All right. And finally, true or false, the big house needs a horn. Pat, you were in the crowd. I'm guessing that this is clearly a hundred thousand people. The one thing that was missing in Ann Arbor was a horn. Yeah. True, right? True. Well, mass transit just flows through the Midwest nonstop. Amtrak. <laughs> M Transit, whatever they got, blow that horn, baby. You need a big house, needs a horn, right? Come on. No, absolutely not. False. <laughs> they have a dog that catches frisbees. That was incredible. Rutgers needs a dog that catches frisbees. How about that? I will That's say a- one note from the crowd. When Michigan wanted its crowd to get loud, all it did was put, let's see, four or five words on the screen. Make some noise. That's it. They didn't announce it. They didn't blow a horn. They didn't have to do everything excessively. They just did it. And you know what? I was sitting in the bleachers. Those two plays right before the pick were, it was incredibly loud. 
probably the loudest I've ever experienced. I haven't been to Ohio State yet, but mm-hmm. that it was it was really really something to hear. All right, so tell us about your day in the crowd. You hung out with uh, Aaron Patel, Rutgers Al, two of the uh, two of the biggest fans of sort of legendary Rutgers fans. What uh, what did you glean from your trip to uh, to the big house crowd? My biggest takeaway was I couldn't believe how nice everyone was to these two guys. <laughs> Obviously, well, what, not- why would they be angry? I mean, it's not like you're Ohio State coming here kicking your ass. Michigan what would you, what would you sat at the fifty yard line in row three? And we're standing doing, and that is a Rutgers first down. No, they were not really. They, were, they did. Oh, wow. They did. Funny. And some guy turned around and said, are you really going to do that? <laughs> but that was the, that was the most, that was the only time anyone said anything kind of nasty to them. And right. uh, I, I thought they, they were treated with a lot of respect at mm-hmm. Michigan. They were, they were great fans for the most part. And they, they spent most of the game explaining the rebuild of Rutgers, what Shiano's done to the Michigan fans sitting around him. Mm. It, it was, it was really good. Um, and then I spent the second half up in the Rutgers section with mm-hmm. Andrew Melkinski and his friends. And there were about 10 rows of Rutgers fans from row 90 to about a hundred <laughs> in the big house. Uh, it was really something else up there, but the game was kind of getting away at that point And there wasn't much buzz. So I didn't get the full, uh, nosebleed reaction or if people were nastier upstairs i don't know but my biggest takeaway michigan fans were great the Rutgers people that went represented the school really well and there was a great tailgate that the r fund threw in a backyard about two blocks from the stadium had about 30 40 people there and out of nowhere i wrote this in the story like one I don't even know if it was a Michigan fan or a Rutgers fan in a connecting backyard sends an R across the fence. Everyone goes, you back. And it was like, people wow. were really into it. It was, it was fun. It was a really fun day. And if you're a fan, check out check out the R Fund for pregame festivities on the road because they did a great job. Nice. All right. Good, good little recap. We should send you into the crowd more often, Pat. That's going to be our new thing. But every time we get sick of you in the press box. Pat, why don't you go talk to someone in the crowd? Yeah, I, I'm. Hey, listen, don't 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 spoil what we got for Wagner. It's <laughs> uh, good stuff. All right. One, one more thing, I want to hear from Pat because I do agree with his take on this. What do you think about the new tradition at Michigan where they play uh, Mr. Brightside between the third and the fourth quarter? Oh my god, absolutely, absolutely terrible, absolutely terrible. And listen, this is the guy I wrote about, Lil Jovi, because it makes sense. It's New Jersey. What is the connection between Mr. Brightside and Michigan? It was just, I, I really didn't like it. I thought it was, they get, they got so into it and it was just so corny and cheesy and half these kids probably can't name one other killer song, which also bothers me. That, that's my, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it every minute of it. I think it's very forced. I think it's like they just played a popular song that everyone knows the lyrics to and then eventually they just sing to it. But yeah, there's no like history behind it in the Michigan program. Some guy just decided to hit play three years ago and now it's all they do. So uh, I, I agree with you. I am very much a curmudgeon about this too. So I'm glad, I'm glad your, your first person experience matched up with, uh, yeah. with my thoughts as well. Listen, there, there were, it was only the students that really sang it too. None mm-hmm. of the hardcore Michigan people knew what the heck was going on. So that's a good thing because Mr. Brightside was recorded in 2003. So none of those students, most of those students were not alive. When the killers yeah. requ- released that song, which is kind of crazy. Yes, name one other song, then you can no. sing it. <laughs> all right. Strong opinions we have on the Michigan crowd. Um, but overall, all right. Good. Good experience at Michigan. If you if you want to take a take a trip, uh, I would suggest going to Ann Arbor. It was it was really cool. All right. Good job. Um, anything else we want to touch on here? Or true or false? We've got the we've got some more questions about the penalties coming up, so we can we can get in we can get in there in a minute. Um, all right, so let's just dive in to the questions from our readers. If you want to subscribe, I have a website now, nj.com slash Rutgers Insider. We'll get you there. Sign up for the texts. We are we are a full service um, podcast team here. All right, big picture questions. Does the loss to Michigan, what you've seen from the remaining teams in the schedule, change your season prediction? Uh, we've addressed this every week. It's always a good question, and I think I can def- definitively say yes now. Yes, it has changed. I think they will. I think they will win six games. I think they should win six games. I think if they don't, it's going to be a downer. You guys agree? So, thirty-one to seven changed your mind that much? 
Well, no, the comp- again, style. the competitiveness, the style. I thought they were even. I thought the the fact that he could. I can't tell you enough. Like the fact that he completed passes. I know it seems like, you know, this is what Jets fans must be thinking right now as well. But when you see a quarterback and he can go out and he can do some things, it just kind of opens the door. That all right, well, they should be. This team was already good defensively. I know they can run the ball against a regular defense. If you if they have proven they can pass then I think they've got six winnable games. I didn't say, I'm not saying they're going to win all these games. Going to Madison's going to be tough. Going to Iowa is going to be tough. I'm just not just, I'm not putting an L next to it before we even get there. And I, in years past, I mean, last year, years past, you know, last year I was putting L's down. And it's funny because I got, and this is kind of an aside, but I got, I got an email from a fan right when the game ended who kind of took offense to an offense, but who took issue with what I wrote when I said that, you know, shrug it off. You know, this is you guys look is this will not change the season. And his point was like, to me, Rutgers still looked mediocre. And I replied, well, when did they get mediocre? <laughs> like they weren't <laughs> mediocre last year. They were bad last year, right? They were like this is mediocre was a step up from last year. Like, okay, yeah, they do look, they don't look, they're not world beaters. They're not going to crash the playoff. I get it. They're not top 25 team. They're just better than last year. Clearly we thought that from the beginning, they proved it in the first three weeks. I thought they proved it again. So I, yeah, I think yeah. the overall body of work gives me, I think six is it's that's for me, it would be a disappointment if they didn't get the six. Totally, totally fair. Totally fair. I think you hit on a lot there. What I liked that you said the wheels didn't fall off in this game is what I'm trying to say. They, yes. they hung in there. Like last year, the wheels just completely fell off turnovers. This is a team that's not, not going to turn the ball over. They're going to play good defense. And, and the, the floor is getting higher and higher each week. Yes, I would, I would, I would 100% say that if they don't make a bowl game, it is a disappointment now. Like it's, it's, you, you have to win two more games because you're going to beat Wagner. Michigan right. State is an absolute abomination. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're ready to just kind of end the season now. Their team might, their players might start entering the portal this week when Mel Tucker officially gets fired. And then Indiana is just a, an abject disaster. I mean, they almost lost to Akron. They needed four overtimes to beat them. They, they, they are a mess. I mean, if those mm-hmm. two games aren't wins, then you got to think that they could be competitive against Wisconsin, as we talked about. Iowa isn't going to be anybody by more than a score, so you're always going to be in that game. And Maryland looks really good. They do um, look really good. That's uh, Maryland might be your third hardest game remaining at this point. Yep, absolutely. They look, they look really good, but you get to that game with five wins. It's winner take all to make a bowl. You got to make a bowl game. You 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 can't not make a bowl game at this point. Unless barring the, the caveat is always that someone gets hurt, Gavin gets hurt. God forbid. That is the only real excuse, I would say. Anything else, six wins is the minimum expectation for a successful season now. All right. Joe at the shore wants to know, I was listening to the post-game press conference and reading between the lines, Shiano sounded like he was pretty darn happy with the way the team played. He just won't actually say it. Did you feel the same way? You guys were there. Tell me, did you think uh, you were now you were now amateur? You're still getting your degree in Shianoology, but what did, did you think for the most part he was pleased is that the right word i mean not pleased but tell me i think he was i don't know if upset is the right word he was pissed at the officiating based on his very cryptic halftime comment and on his you know he didn't want to really elaborate on it but then he's talking about the process where they hand in their grievances to the head of officials of the league something tells me that there's going to be a lot of complaints to the head official uh this week head of officials What's the um, biggest complaint you think? Is it is it the defensive backs? Is it? I mean, I can't imagine one holding call. Is this what the holding call? Uh, so I don't know what the, what he was talking about in his halftime comment. Like, that was just a bit bizarre. I, if that, you weren't watching the game, he said, "What was it exactly?" He said, "Some things aren't some, right out there." Right, yeah, yeah. When he was asked about the penalties, he said, uh, "Some things going on. There's some things that aren't right out there." Uh, the holding call is the only real one I could think of that that was egregious in the first half. That the two false starts were fine. I don't think Michigan committed any penalties that weren't called. Um, and then in the second half, the refs throw a flag for unsportsmanlike conduct, then pick it up and don't call it. I thought that was a good call, to be honest with you. But I imagine if you're Rutgers, you want that to stand. I, I don't know. That that's really that was really my takeaway. And a really quick aside on the officiating. Uh, I know Rutgers fans feel like they got short end of the stick. Michigan had some spots that were pretty bad, like half a yard short. They had two fourth downs that probably should have been first downs. The, the officiating was bad on both sides, as I always say, right. don't mistake for uh, maliciousness what can be attributed to incompetence. Well, yep, said. well said. I just want to say to answer the Shianoology 
I thought he knew that his team set out to accomplish what it was supposed to accomplish to show that this team has taken another step forward. And I think deep down inside, he was impressed from that, from that standpoint, they matched up physically. They, they did, they only, they turned the ball over once. So that was huge for him. So I think deep down, he was happy from a sense that they showed some competitiveness and of course they didn't win the game, but at the end of the day, like we, we keep hammering, they were, they were in it pretty late. So. All right. Another question, Frank from Hillsborough on the offense. Uh, does, does Wimson have any authority to change plays once he gets to the line of scrimmage and sees the defense? There were a couple of third and four, fourth downs early in the game where you can see that the run wasn't going to work. Uh, plus the stupid screen in the second half. Do coaches, do coaches trust him at all? Um, it's a great question. I think he does, but you guys tell me, am I, am I, does Wimson have the uh, authority to change plays? I don't know. To be honest, it looks like sometimes he goes to the line of scrimmage and talks to his linemen and makes mm-hmm. adjustments. I don't know for a fact if he does, um, but I would have to think if he's your starting quarterback, you yeah. trust him to. Right. And he's not changing it. To, I mean, he probably has another play that he can change it. You can check off to. He's not changing it to something in the back of the playbook. Like, I don't think that's exactly. happening. Right. right? I, I, Pat? There's no there's if a quarterback can't change a play at the line of scrimmage, right. he's not he's, yeah. doesn't deserve to be in the game. And I, and I think one of the Shiraka's biggest things that he said over and over again when we talked <laughs> to him was that. I want the quarterback to be an extension of me on the field, right? right. So, like, if you, if you take that for what it is, of course, he's going to have some authority. There. So, I, I would say he absolutely has authority to change the play. Another question in the passing game. Uh, for one drive, the passing game looked downright, dare I say it, effective. Uh, ended with a pick six, of course. But why can't we mix in a few medium depth passes through the rest of the game? Passing game was non-existent in the first half with the exception of the TV. He can obviously make some throws. Our quarterbacks haven't been able to make in a decade. Why aren't we using it? Um, okay. I mean, that's a, I think it's a valid point when you saw that drive again. Like it, it was, they, they needed to move the ball, and, and, and Gavin did. Um, are they underusing him now? It's crazy that we would get to that point after, one, after being worrying that he had a short leash. But what do you think? Do they need more medium-range passes? The number one priority of this offense is not to turn the ball over. They're obviously very risk adverse. And I yep. think that is what why they don't throw those balls to the middle of the field as much as people want them to. It seemed like a lot of the throws were to the boundary. I know that Jaquay Jackson, that diving throw catch he made, the two Isaiah Washington catches that he made were all to the sideline. It feels like most of his passes are that way. They just don't want to put the ball in danger, don't want to put it in the middle of traffic. Um, should they throw it more? I think Gavin has kind of shown that he could be trusted to do so. So far, I think he can make the throws. I just don't think the coaches are going to risk it when they don't have to. I think they did it in that drive because they're down two touchdowns and they need to score. I think if you're in a game like the first three where you have a lead, you're going to be a lot more conservative than than the, as they usually were in those games. I just want to make a quick point. Look at what J.J. McCarthy is, the high level of completion percentage. He's not throwing the ball 20, 30 yards down the field. He's an effective mid-level to short yards passing mm-hmm. quarterback and and that's that's what that's the Rutgers dream scenario to have Gavin Wimsett play like JJ McCarthy that's what that that's what that's the ceiling of this offense All right, another question about the offense now that we have five capable running backs that are healthy how do we divide the carries uh sort of a fascinating thing and and Kyle Manungai I'm not sure if we got to the bottom of why Manungai was on the bench there in the second half they got away from the run too soon I think I like I don't know. We can agree on that one. Aaron Young had a great run late, and we still have not seen the Sam Brown of early last season. So what what is the what is the how do you divide it up now? There's no good way to ask Shiano this question, and I wish she would answer it honestly. He's not going to answer it. Honestly. He's never going to answer it because it really is a conundrum. You have, you have so many different backs that all have all these different styles. They all can do different things, but it seemed like last year. When Sam Brown was full go, full rhythm, he just needed some work. And like Manungai, he got better as the game went on. I have no idea how you ca- how you divide this up. I really don't. We don't have we haven't seen that Sam Brown yet, though. Absolutely, absolutely. And we thought maybe maybe against Michigan, a team that you were going to need a physical running back to change things up. I think that's why you saw him in the second half because they knew it wasn't working with Manungai. They wanted to bring that physicality a little bit. I think that was my what I read from that situation. 
I think they're easing him back in because he missed a lot of training camp and he still has to get into game shape and they don't want to risk him playing too much too early and getting hurt again, um, you know, kind of just easing him in. And I think that when you evaluate the risk, is he going to be the difference between losing to Michigan by 24 points and pulling off the upset? No. So it's probably not worth it. Um, I could see him playing a little bit more against Wagner and being unleashed, so to speak, against Wisconsin. Um, I think they don't really have five running backs they're going to use. I, I think Al Shadi Salam's role has been pretty defined that it's going to be very minimal. I think Jay Sean Benjamin, when you get those two senior, uh, veteran guys back in, in Brown and Young, he'll be kind of pushed to the side. It'll be three guys. I think Aaron Young looked good when he played, though it was late in the game. I don't know how much Michigan was keying on him, um, but I think you use him as the change of pace, catch the ball out of the backfield guy. I think you use Sam Brown as your primary guy, run between the tackles, get tough yards. And I think you use Manungai as the guy to come in when the defense is tired and you need a guy, like we say, he's better late in the game. Give him the rock in the third and, f- third and fourth quarter, let him kind of run wild and let Sam Brown be the guy that kind of softens up the defense, so to speak. That's the ideal scenario in my mind. I don't know if that's what they're going to go with, but I think it's, it's very as good as Kyle Manungai was in the first three weeks of the season. I'm not taking anything away from him. He was great. He earned the Big Ten player of the, of the Offensive Player of the Week award. Sam Brown is the best running back they have, I think, by far. I think when, he, when he's healthy, they're going to ride him. And I think as good as the offense looked in the first three weeks, I think they'll look even better when he's the main guy getting the rock. Yeah, I agree with that in theory. I just haven't, until we know that Sam Brown is going to be the Sam Brown against Indiana last year. I I, I totally agree. All right, some more, a couple more questions about the offense. Someone wants to know when we when do we think Chris Long is going to return to the active roster? And along those lines, why is Rashad Rochelle not getting any playing time on offense? feels like a numbers game with Rochelle. Uh, what do we know about Long? It's really hard to know exactly what these injury situations are. I, I, I think the Long injury seems more short-term than long-term. I, mm-hmm. I would expect him back at some point in this in this really important stretch. Chris has had a, an issue in staying healthy. That's been really his big knock throughout his career. Uh, I think I know the Rutgers staff is high on him, and they think he could be their best receiver, one of their best receivers. He just can't stay healthy. Um, I don't know what the specific issue is. The fact that Shiano has not said it's season ending seems to tell me that they think he'll be back. But Victor Kanapka was a guy who was never called a season ending injury until the end of the year last year. And I think the chances of him coming back throughout the whole time wasn't highly likely. Um, so I don't know. I do know that they could really use him, I think. Uh, and as much as you've been praising the wide receivers, I think he adds a different dimension. And obviously if Nassim Brantley is ever able to get out of NCAA purgatory, he would also add a different dimension. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we don't know about his situation. The sooner he does come back though, uh, the better for Rutgers. Well, take, take Brantley out of the equation. I, I doubt we're going to see him at this point, but who, so answer this. So give me the same question with the running backs question. What is the, what is the, what is, what are the ideal combinations for receivers? Because I think we're seeing pretty close to it. Yeah, to answer your question on Rochelle, which I, I just remembered was also part of it, I think he's just, you know, Christian Dremel has the slot reps. I think Christian Dremel, exactly. Yep. They had 46 offensive snaps against Michigan. That's nothing. That's yeah. nothing, right? So when you have that limited snaps, there's really no need to rotate guys in, especially when Dremel's playing as well as he has. I think in any in a fully healthy room, Jerry Jackson is going to be the number one guy. I think Chris Long would probably be a starter. I don't know if he come out if he take out Washington or Dremel, but I think he'd be a starter. You have Dremel and Washington kind of rotating in filling slots, but I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think this is kind of what they've got. I don't know if it's enough. It's been enough so far. Will it be enough through the heart of the big 10 schedule? I don't know. Uh, but yeah, you know, Bull Melton and Leontay Carew are not walking through that door. All right. A couple more questions. We've got a, spe- we've got a bunch of special team questions. People want to know why and, and put me on the list of people who want to know this. Uh, why have we stopped kicking the ball out of the end zone? It's like the first 12 kickoffs. So oh, that's great. It's a good strategy. What every NFL team does. Now we've got <laughs> like with their, their punt, their, you know, the shorter kickoffs. I don't understand it either. I'm not sure you guys have the answer to this, but I'll try. It was uh, at one point, the wind was blowing pretty strongly oh. at, at where Rutgers was kicking off. I don't okay. know if that made a difference. Like they, they weren't going to kick the ball out of the end zone might've been a concern. But to do it two games in a row is is more to me a strategy than worrying about something like the win. Right. Maybe that's a, a Wednesday question for Shiano. Good one. There you go. Maybe we should write it down. Write it down. It did work out in one play because Michigan didn't call a fair catch for some reason at the five yard line, and then the kid got immediately tackled, and Michigan was backed up in their own side. But yeah, I don't I don't get it either. I think 
touchback is the safest option. And I think if you're able to do it, you should do it every time. All right. We got a bunch of random and the, uh, in the other category for questions and a couple of them, Pat, I got to be honest with you, I'm a little afraid to broach here because we don't know. We, we, I've got, I want to have lunch today. I want to, there's some things I want to do for the day, but someone did want to know. I, I know it's football season. Everyone's excited about basketball, but I have to give my two cents on the greatest soccer player of all time. This is Rob. I think it might be Rob Helfcott. I don't know if it's stiffed, but anyway, this is Rob. Brian Messi versus the Brian's Messi versus Pele analysis is troubling because Franz Beckenbauer is the greatest soccer player of all time. 20 seconds. That's all we're going to give you. I'm going to start the clock now. We're going to pretend this is the debate. All right, go ahead. Tell me, tell, give your opinion on, on Franz Beckenbauer. Franz Beckenbauer was a revolutionary defensive player, one of the greatest players of all time, maybe the greatest German player of all time. He couldn't shine Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi's shoes. So uh, I, I appreciate uh, the different out there take, and I think there is some merit. I think, respectfully, you don't know ball, my friend. Wow. Okay. Oh, all right. You don't Punch know ball. To the point. To the point. I was. I tell you, I was worried. I think if I hadn't established that we had twenty seconds for that, it would have been. It would have been a disaster. Uh, someone else wants to know your strategy. I want to see Bryant's receipts for his top twenty-five vote, which I can't imagine anyone on earth would care. But here, someone does. This is a reader who wants to know how you do that and why and what it would take for Rutgers to be a top twenty-five team. There are a lot of Florida State fans who a month ago really wanted to know my process and why I didn't vote their Seminoles as the number one team in the country after they beat mighty, mighty LSU. And there are a lot of people wondering why I still voted for Colorado this week, even though the fact they got spanked, spanked in Eugene, Oregon. <laughs> uh, my process, I cover a college football team. I don't know if people know this, but I spent my entire Saturday covering one team. If I'm lucky, I watch some other college football games sparingly. I watched the Ohio State-Notre Dame game. I watched Penn State-Iowa. I was lucky we had a noon kick. Sunday morning, I wake up, I check the scores, I look at some advanced numbers, I try to watch some highlights, and then I have to do the un an enviable act of picking 25 teams, knowing that 26, 27, 28 are going to be really pissed at me, and people in the top 10 who feel like their team should be two spots above, and there's a conspiracy in my household that I was born with the sole purpose of making sure Florida State isn't the number three team in the country. Um, and then, so I just sit at my desk, and I get tweets. DMs, emails, you're an idiot, you're a dummy. What are you doing? Do you watch football? Do you know ball? Brian Fonseca is the worst writer of all time. Get a new job. I hear Walmart has an opening. Anyway, so that's my process. Uh, don't become an AP 20, top 25 voter, please. It's not worth it. Tell your children to be a doctor, to be a lawyer, you know, to be a, a, you know, a garbage worker. Those people have noble jobs. I don't. I just peddle garbage and I get yelled at for it. You do. <laughs> He does. You do realize that you don't. You don't have to do this, right? This is not a job requirement. You've you've accepted this role here willingly. You've agreed to do it. Someone asked you. I don't know who who's the person that asked you to do this. Was it Canavan? It was Tom Canavan of the Tom AP. Canavan of the AP. Yeah, and so you could have said, Tom, thanks, but I really would rather not do this. You could have done that. If, I'm if a you want to see Brian's receipts, it's on Twitter every week, and he is pretty far from the median. When it comes to voting, which is I think he? is noble, I think that's noble. Stand out, go out, and unless you are completely wrong about something like, say, the greatest soccer player of all time, you should go out there and stand up on your your beliefs. You should, you know, you should make a statement. This is what I think the number one team in the country is, and I don't care what the haters say. I like it. Good for you, Brian. That's well, what Brett McMurphy does. Good for you. Here's, here's what I'll say. I always hear about people complaining about their team isn't ranked high enough. I've had Penn State at number four this whole time. I have not had one Penn State fan say, hey, Brian, thank you for believing in my new lines. Not one person. Not anyway, one. what does Rutgers have to do to get ranked? They had to beat Michigan last weekend. Obviously, they didn't. They're probably going to have to win their next three games and be six and one. Uh, maybe what, they would have to be seven and one before Ohio State, I believe. Is, that, is my math correct? Correct. Okay. If they're seven and one going into Ohio State, they'll be ranked. What about six and one going into whatever game that is? Michigan is Michigan State. What's the game before Ohio State? I, don't, I get the order wrong all the time. Indiana, so it's, it's six Wagner, and one going to Indiana. I'm not sure because what's the big win you have there? Wisconsin, your best win is yeah. Wisconsin on the road. Not Wisconsin, you're Wisconsin's not ranked. You know, you don't have one ranked win. 
Well, just I, for just for the hell of it, throw us a bone here. Come on, give us something to talk about in the podcast. Well, I have to. Of all people, I have to be the one that votes Rutgers in last. Because if what I vote mean? Rutgers in, if I'm the first person, I'm a homer. I can't do that. And then if <laughs> I'm the last, I'm a Rutgers hater. I'm literally between a rock and a hard place. I can't win here. Throw Merrill in the bone. Throw Merrill in the bone. How about I, that? Of course. I'm, if I didn't vote They're them 25, great. they were 26. I think I put Kansas over Maryland. Um, Kansas over Maryland. Man, decisions. All right, enough about that. Uh, good job. Good questions. Thank you, everybody, for chiming in. I, we didn't get nearly to any all of them this week. And I apologize for that. Uh, what else we got? Ooh, 9-0 and field hockey, baby. Woo! How about best, that? Best team on campus. Best starting best program history. Campus. Humongous game Humongous. on Thursday against the top 10 Maryland team. I, I incorrectly said that Rutgers was the second highest ranked Big Ten team. I forgot about number one, Iowa. Um, number one, I, Iowa? How did I, Iowa get number one in field hockey? They don't play field hockey in Iowa, do they? I don't know. They're in a lot of corn and getting really strong. I don't know. Someone but, confirmed that for me. I thought field hockey was like a East Coast thing. Was that just across? Space, baby. It is, but Iowa has a great tradition. I, as a field hockey household here, I can confirm that when my wife was playing uh, field hockey, that Iowa is a really good program and a, a, a top top 10 team every year. So, yeah. I, like, I want there. you to. Maybe, I not, want, maybe not your Tar Heels. You're uh, not throwing I, around I, I enough field hockey. Iowa field hockey talk. I want more. I want you to drop your wife more in the context of field hockey, Derry. If we, if you don't know, um, I'll bring Pat's her on wife is. I'll bring her on next week. That'd be great. We can bring her downstairs, and she can give. If they beat Maryland, I demand to have your wife come down here and break that it. down. She would us. love it. She absolutely is a huge advocate for field hockey, so she would absolutely do it. No question. There you go. Wonderful. Okay. Good well, idea. She, she should be at the game on Thursday, as should I think any Rutgers fan in the area that has time to go to watch a game on a Thursday afternoon. Uh, huge game against Maryland. If you win that, you're right there with Iowa as the favorites to win the Big Ten, and you really solidify yourself as a national championship contender. Um, so I guess we'll see. Much like Rutgers got a you know measuring stick game against Michigan in football, I think this is a big measuring stick game for Rutgers field hockey. If you start off ten and zero, I mean the sky is the limit really for Meredith Civico's team. Which again, I can't say how impressive it is for them to have such a bounce back season after last year. Should be fun to follow the rest of the year. Uh, all right, so soccer unfortunately is not doing as well. Yes, men's soccer. Blew a 2-0 halftime lead against Michigan on Friday night. They're off to a pretty rough start. Uh, women's soccer got back to the win column. They beat Purdue at home in the torrential rainstorm, which is good. Uh, still some work to be done. but um, And volleyball, unfortunately, uh, has lost three straight. They lost in straight sets to Purdue. So uh, the early momentum is gone there. But field hockey, doing well. Field hockey. Excellent. All right, folks. I think that's all we got this week. Until our picks pod coming up later on Thursday, you'll see what I do about the Wagner alumni. It's going to be a challenge. Until then, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Rutgers Rant. To participate in the conversation and receive live updates about the Scarlet Knights directly to your phone, sign up at nj.com slash insider.